Uh, hi Peter, thanks for coming to talk to the Great Writers Inspire project today. We're collecting some information for the, the post-slash-colonial section of the, the Great Writers uh, project. Today I, I wanted to talk about Joseph Conrad, Polish-born, but uh, chose to write in English, a language he didn't learn until, until his 20s. And obviously he had a lot of experience in the maritime industry and he produced two texts in particular that we're going to look at today, mm-hmm. both published as serials in Blackwoods magazine, I think, in 1899, is that right? Yeah, that's right, at the turn of the century. So yeah. literally right on the, the cusp of the 20th century. Yeah. Heart of Darkness and Lord Jim, both which have become fairly well-established classic texts mm-hmm. fall under different canons. But I want, to, I want to particularly focus on the post-colonial or colonial aspects of these texts. Mm-hmm. So um, if we start with Heart of Darkness, perhaps... Uh, a way into this to think of Chinua Achebe's uh, 1975 article mm-hmm. uh, in which he um, uh, accused, famously accused uh, Conrad of being a bloody racist. I wondered if you could offer a response to uh, Achebe's article and perhaps some of the responses that it's had uh, since then and, and how you think this figures in d- discussions of Heart of Darkness as yeah. a literary text. Great, yeah, so this is the uh, um, essay that Achebe initially wrote, uh, well, he initially gave us a lecture um, in the United States, it's worth reminding, so Achebe is well-known, perhaps the leading uh, um, African-Nigerian-born writer of the the post-colonial period. I mean, he was a hugely important Mm. figure uh, in terms of giving African writing a new status in the post-colonial world. And actually, not any more than that. You know, he was, for instance, one of the main figures behind, um, and certainly one of the key editors of the Heinemann African Writers series, which started in the early 1960s. So he was a, a massively important figure in terms of giving um, giving African literary voices a new status in the world and and, and across Africa. In fact, uh, you know, um, in the in the post-colonial period. So really, really one of the major writers of that period. And so it's quite something that this this kind of condemnation came from yeah. him. Um, but I think it's also important to notice that he was giving that, initially gave that as a lecture in the United States. Yeah. Um, uh, that was the first thing. So this, the essay, as it was first published, it was uh, eventually published as an essay. And it was given the title, An Image of Africa, Racism in Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Um, I, in a sense, there's one of the ironies around that intervention um, is that one of the key things that he was trying to do was to say effectively, you know, because this is, uh, because Conrad was a racist, because this is a racist text, we should stop reading it. And, and in, in a way, uh, or we should at least ask ourselves the question why we go on reading it. And in many ways, that, you know, that intervention has been one of the things in the last generation that's kept us talking about Heart of Darkness. It's, you know, because Chebe said we shouldn't talk about it is one of the reasons why we keep on talking about it. Um, there's a kind of there's a kind of irony about that there. I suppose one of the the key things I've I've always thought about that intervention is that um, on the one hand, you know, it's a superbly brilliant and provocative um, intervention and critique of the way in which Anglo-American and that I would include you know uh, U.S. Mm-hmm. North American generally. Sure. Certainly, uh, British and and uh, um, uh, other Anglo-American universities, in particular universities, were teaching students in the 1970s how to read. Um, 
And I think in many ways the responses uh, to Achebe's uh, critique uh, has often not quite grappled with that. I mean, people immediately go in either to support or to condemn yeah. his arguments uh, in, in specific terms without saying, well, actually, what, was the, what were the widest of institutional mm. things that he was trying to achieve? And I think that's also worth bearing in mind because it is a brilliant critique of, of uh, um, critical assumptions uh, uh, at, at that time in the 1970s where, you know, where Conrad was being held up, you know, especially in the sort of post-Levis generation. We think about a, a critic like uh, F.R. Levis, who was a major figure coming out of Cambridge in the 1920s and 30s, who, who made Conrad part of the great tradition, as he Absolutely. called it. And he made him part of the great tradition in specifically moral terms. The Con Conrad was somebody mm. we could turn to as a kind of a kind of sage who would save us all from the depredations of mass mm. culture and yeah. so on, in the way that Levis had those sorts of concerns. Of course, there are many other forms of essentially moral or moralistic criticism that elevated Conrad to the status in the mid-20th century. And so it is a real provocation to say, look, you know, this kind of yes. moral sage is actually a deeply flawed racist. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and so what are you doing, you know, canonizing this yeah, figure? teaching him to yeah. unsuspecting students. Unsuspecting, yeah. exactly, <laughs> exactly right. Um, so I think, I think uh, you know, understood in those terms, it, it has enormous and lasting value and significance for changing how we think about reading. But I think um, understood uh, in terms of a reading of Heart of Darkness, mm. um, there's one crucial thing, and then, of course, other people have, have pointed this out. There's one crucial thing that makes it, I think, uh, um, a problem uh, from, a, from, a, from a point of view of, of uh, a reading of Heart of Darkness, is that, you know, Achebe says a number of things, but in a way, one of the key things at the end of the day is he wants his argument to focus on the fact that Heart of Darkness, as a piece of writing, mm. constitutes a good piece of evidence for giving us access to Conrad's views mm. as, a, as a historical uh, um, figure, author, uh, in a sense that, that he assumes uh, that the text is a, uh, an expression of Conrad's biography yeah. in some ways. Um, and he recognizes that Conrad's biography is deeply embedded within the European culture yeah. out of which Conrad emerged. Um, but in a way, um, that biographical reading, and I think which we won't, we won't necessarily have time to talk about today, there are other ways in which you can construe issues to do with race in Heart of Darkness other than going for the author's mm -hmm. biography or reducing texts to somehow straightforward expressions of an author's views. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's um, a problem in particular for Conrad because, and in many ways for Heart of Darkness, because if, if we look at Conrad in the broader history of, and let's, let's narrow it for the time being to the English novel, the novel in English, yeah. then undoubtedly, if you look at his own development as a writer, the most important discovery he made for himself, a huge, um, in, I suspect there's a kind of a release for him as a writer, was if you look at his emergence, you know, he starts, first book is published, uh, almost fully published in yeah. 1894, and you look at those early novels, there's, a few no there's two novels that come and then there's a, there's a string of experimental mm. short stories yeah. where he's trying to find you know, a viable form for himself. And I think he's particularly worried 
about a kind of third person, assuming a third person, apparently um, omniscient mm-hmm. perspective, uh, which gives you some claim to some sort of authority, yeah. a kind of again, a specifically a sage-like authority to comment on, you know, what what the meaning of life is. And this is something that's part of the very much part of the European nineteenth-century religious tradition. I think of someone like George Eliot, yeah, who, you know. Um, uh, uses her text to convey a sort of, uh, you know, she's this uh, omniscient voice and she comes in and gives sort of moral statements yeah. that are uh, written as truths really, yeah, and, yeah. and are there for the edification of her readership, I suppose. I think that's right. I mean, we, I think we can often, in terms of literary history, overplay mm-hmm. the, the extent to which the 19th century novelists were unreflective, uh, yeah, course, you know, committed yeah. to a third person narratorial point of view. But there's no doubt that there is, if you like, in 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 the in in a, it's 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 a useful fiction anyway to have the idea that <laughs> a, that a 19th century novel on on the whole, even if it's a first person narrative, uh, but especially if it's a third person narrative, kind of combines two two key kinds yeah. of discourse, if you like. Um, one one is uh, the essayistic voice mm-hmm. of the narrator, whether first or third person. Uh, who, who offers commentaries on, on the characters, on the world of the fiction, mm. and then, of course, the, the many voices of the characters and how they speak. Um, and, and so they, they, they do work in those two, yeah. those two levels going on in, in, in the 19th century. Conrad starts like that, although he's all immediately, from the mm. get-go, he's been heavily influenced by, by someone like Flaubert, uh, and especially Madame Bovary, coming from France. Mm-hmm. Where Flaubert started to develop a technique called, which he uh, which is called uh, style indirect libre or free indirect yeah. technique, which blends a third person perspective with a character's language. Mm-hmm. That that's a that's a major shift that starts to happen, and it's often associated with with Flaubert. Conrad's already started to pick up on that, but nonetheless, you can see through all these early works, he's. He's experimenting with that kind of uh, technical thing. And, and the key thing I, I think is important about this is that it's not just a, a formalist preoccupation or a technical concern or an aesthetic concern. You know, he's trying to find a mode of address and a mode of writing that's inna- going to enable him to do what he wants to do. And really, I think, uh, give or take a few narrators in some of the short stories, the key discovery for him, which is a huge release for him as a writer, is to discover this this figure initially embodied in the figure of, of Marlowe, mm-hmm. Charlie Marlowe, who's a an English seaman. Mm-hmm. Conrad is from the late 19th century and does think into the national categories mm-hmm. a lot. So it's important that Marlowe is an Englishman. He's identified as an Englishman and is also of a certain profession. Mm-hmm. But he discovers this the key thing is a situated narratorial narrative voice, mm-hmm. an embodied situated narrating voice, so who is both a character in the fictional worlds that he creates and a commentator on that world. The key thing about this device for, for Conrad, and this is why we come back to Achebe, is that it enables him to displace what he's writing away from himself as much as possible. Of course, it's still Conrad producing this, sure. but it's not Conrad at any point in his own voice. He's creating other voices. Mm-hmm. And again, this isn't some kind of dubious moral trick that he's trying to play, yeah. or some sleight of hand. 
it's I think it's vital to what he wants to do mm-hmm. as a writer. And it's like you know any any writer that you really want to pay a lot of attention to. Um, you know he wants to fundamentally try to change his readership's relationship to their own language. Yeah. So he's already, as you said at the beginning, you know he's this interesting multilingual yeah. you know polish born in fact ukrainian born but, ukrainian, but yeah but sorry. i mean but he's polish and his father was a polish nationalist mm. and uh, revolutionary and, and but he's, he's those guys he speaks russian he's got french and then he chooses to write in english mm-hmm. and one of the things that conrad wants to do is is to reorient i think in quite radical ways the relationship that his readers have to what they take to be their own language, not simply the English language, but the kind of terms, the categories, the ways of thinking mm-hmm. that are available to them at that point in time and maybe still stay with us today in some, in some respects and that are uh, you know, deeply embedded in their language. So, so I think, in a sense, that's, that's to my mind, one of the, the crucial issues that... that that Achebe, uh, while while absolutely rightly insisting that we rethink how we how we teach students to read and how we think about reading ourselves, um, because he wants to identify uh, Marlowe too closely with Conrad, yeah. or read *Heart of Darkness* as a text and expression of Marlowe's of Conrad's views, uh, that I think we miss something vital. And I've got a few instances where we can maybe have a look at passages. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where we can see this the consequences of Conrad's narrative method. By paying attention to his, or saying that we should pay attention to his language, whether it's in, understood as a style, or his narrative methods mm. and decisions from that point of view. Again, it's, not, it's definitely not to separate that out as some kind of formal or formalist yeah. Yeah. concern, but actually to see that it's precisely through those means mm-hmm. and those technical means and that kind of discovery and what he can do yeah. in the history of the, of, of the novel in English Absolutely. Uh, that he can start to make the kinds of uh, interventions into the culture of his day and beyond mm-hmm. uh, that, he, that he wants to do. So it's, 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 a, it's, a, yeah, it's, a formal, it's a formal technique, but it's also you know, a, 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 um, a very important strategic move yeah. in terms of what he thinks this kind of writing, which is the kind of writing that we call literary, mm-hmm. can do in the world. So it's, yeah. it's got a lot to do with the, the, the power and the force that he wants his writing to bring into the world. It's not just some kind of way of reducing his writing to some little yeah, aesthetic object or form for us to contemplate in a sense that you know, is happily unthreatening to us. No, I very much yeah. agree.